Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. All right, well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, Look, my name is Cole Griffith. I am the minister to college students here at Dawson College Ministry. And so I say this every week, but if you guys have not uh, come up to meet me, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, please, please, please come introduce yourself. Um, If I don't recognize you, I'll try to find you, but I can't necessarily get to everybody all the time. So I'd love to meet you. I'd love to get you guys connected um, wherever you are, whatever your story to the life of what we got going on here at Dawson Church, but also specifically here in Dawson College. So Tonight we are in the second iteration, the second song of our four-track EP that we're calling the Servant Songs. Well, not necessarily we are calling it, but are commonly known as the Servant Songs in Isaiah. And if you remember from our time last week, we talked about how these four songs, these four poems, give us a picture of God's coming servant who he will send to redeem Israel and the world back to himself. Israel themselves are in exile. Babylon has scattered them and has taken them from their homeland, and they now are servants and slaves themselves in a foreign land. And so we are, in some senses, back to the very beginning of the Old Testament story. Israel is very back to the very beginning again, but God has not decided, God has not purposed, God has not intended to leave them in that state. And so this is where we pick up from last week. I'll read our text for us again. I'll read all six. Why not? Here we go. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says... It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Let's pray before we begin our time. Father God, even now, Lord, even now, we ask that you be in our midst. Father, would the words of my heart and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. God, I pray that the meditation in the words of all of our hearts, God, that our attention and our focus in this moment would be solely on you. God, as you craft this picture and this image of your servant in our hearts and our minds, God, I pray that we would behold your beauty and your glory. And God, in return, that would transform us in our day-to-day lives. So God, even now, be with us. In these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So if you remember last week, 
we centered on a singular question, a singular question that had two parts. And that question was simply this, does God care? Does God care to uphold my right? Does God care to act on my behalf? Does he care to pursue justice for my cause? And the second piece of that was, does God care that my way is hidden? Does God care about the actions I do in the darkness? Does he care to call me and hold me accountable to the things that I do? And the answer to this question we found last week is assuredly, absolutely, 100% yes God's servant. God's servant, he gives as a light to the nations. Remember, we talked about how God's servant is given to reveal the ways that are hidden. He's come to turn the light switch on humanity. But he's also given to be justice to the nations. He's given so that all evil will be held to account. And we found through our first picture and song of the servant that yes, absolutely, God cares. He cares about our acts. And he also cares about our tears, our pains. And so tonight, we are looking at the second vision of this servant, where God is designating and giving a task and explaining the method and the success of his servant. Now in this song, the servant speaks back. The servant speaks back. Look with me in verse 1. There he says, Listen to me, O coastlands. And give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother. He named my name. Notice what is going on here. In the very first uh, phrase, he says, listen, O you coastlands. And so what's going on here in the Hebrew is, is this servant is, is relating back to Hebrew text, Old Testament passages that have come before. There's one particular in mind that I'm called to remember. It's Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. If you guys have read your Bibles, you know there is like the opening charge to Israel as a people. This is what God's directive to them to obey is. He says, listen, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. Hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So this servant calls our attention in the same way that God has called Israel's attention all the way back near the beginning of their story. But more than this, who is this servant talking to? Who is his audience? And if you notice, he has a very peculiar audience. He's not necessarily talking to Israel like God does in Deuteronomy, but he's talking to a place. He's talking to the coastlands. Now, like, if you're anything like me, who, you, when you read this, you're like, okay, it's just like shouting off into like the cascading rocks, right? Is he just shouting into like the ether, the nothing? What does it mean that he's talking to the coastlands? Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, uh, this metaphor of decreation, this metaphor of destruction begins all the way really back in Genesis 1. If you remember there, God forms out of nothingness, out of chaos, out of the waters of the deep, dry land. 
creation. And so all the way back in Genesis, there is this metaphor that the raging sea is a picture of, de- of decreation, of deconstruction, of violence against the thing that God has purposed to be good in his world. And as you read further throughout the Old Testament, this gets extrapolated to the peoples who inhabit those lands. So when, when this servant is talking to the coastlands, he's talking to those rebellious nations, those raging peoples like sea waters that are rising up and attacking one another and attacking God's chosen people are forces of decreation in God's good world. You don't have to go further than Psalm 2 to see this. There the psalmist says, Why do the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. See, the imagery here we find in Psalm 2 is the exact same that this servant is spinning in Isaiah 49. These peoples are a raging sea. They are crashing up against the jagged edges. They are a picture of the rebellious nation's economic, military strength that is leveraged against the innocent. The people's rage, the nation's plot in vain. He's also addressing, if we remember back, to the exiled generation. Israel themselves, as a people, have been exiled throughout all of these various lands, right? So if you remember the course of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, rather, uh, like we talked about last week, Israel has been taken from their home in Jerusalem. They've been taken from their land, and they've been scattered throughout the ancient Near East. They've been scattered throughout all of these rebellious nations. And so you, if you look back in Isaiah, he actually talks about this very, very idea. Isaiah 11, cha- uh, chapter 11, verse 11, there Isaiah says, In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Israel is scattered themselves. The people, the remnant, the people that God has chosen, his anointed ones, his chosen ones, his servants, have been scattered around and are now living as exiles in these rebellious and raging nations. They are living in and amongst the coastlands themselves. And so the servant addresses them too. It's the rebellious nations, but it's also rebellious Israel. And so what does the servant say? He begins like this. He says, The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named me. Now, this is not the first time that Isaiah has used this imagery of being called from the womb. He says in Isaiah 44, chapter 2, this being of Israel themselves, there Isaiah the prophet says, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. This is a metaphor that is common in the Old Testament to understand how God has birthed the nation, how God has been with these people from the very beginning. And so in the same way, this servant has been purposed from the beginning for a specific task. In the same way that God formed and is responsible for Israel from the very beginning of their existence, so he has brought this servant onto the scene for a very specific task and purpose. And so what is his task? Look with me again at verse 2. He says this, the servant speaking says, He, the Lord, made my mouth like a sharp sword. 
In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. So what is God's servant saying here? If you remember last week, we contrasted this picture of the servant with another really important, crucial in our understanding of biblical historical narrative with this character of Cyrus. And if you remember, Cyrus, he is the king of Persia. And God raises him up and he tramples through the nations. He crashes through them like they're clay pots with an iron rod. And he destroys all the peoples who have oppressed Israel. And God has raised up this would-be enemy, right? Like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deal, right? And he crashes through the enemies of Israel so that they can be liberated and returned back to their homelands. And like we said last week, this servant, his justice is going to be of a different sort than that of Cyrus. This, this Cyrus, he crashes through the nations. He humbles them. He breaks the bruised reeds and he crushes the, or he extinguishes the, the fading wick of Babylon. But this servant is going to be gentle. The servant, is, his justice is not going to be of this same sort. But here we have a fuller picture of what that's exactly going to look like. Rather than use a sword, of the hands, uses a sword from his mouth, right? Just like the sword, sorry. Sword of his mouth, his words. Sword of his mouth is his words, but more so they are the ideas, the thoughts, the truths that his words contain. His words are his power. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. He wrote a book called Live No Lies, where he illustrates and examines and explores this, this very idea. The idea that ideas are powerful. The idea that how we influence the world around us with the words that we have, the, the thoughts that we communicate can have real life consequences. They can be constructive or deconstructive. They can be uh, life-giving or death-bringing. And this is the sort of power that the servant has. See, see the serpent in Genesis 3, right? The serpent in Genesis 3, what does he come to Adam and Eve with? Does he come with a machine gun? Eat the fruit or die, right? Scarface, anybody? Does he come with a sword? No. He comes with a dangerous and radical idea. What if this world and everything you see around you is not what you think it is? What if everything that you have taken for granted that has been given to you by this God figure is not actually true? What if the good that you enjoy is actually a cage meant to lock you up and keep you from the good that he doesn't want you to have. Ideas are dangerous. And a specific type of idea, a lie, is most. Ideas are piercing. They cut through our conceptions of the world. We've all been to school, right? We all had that one teacher, right? Before I was doing this job, I was a teacher. And like 
the thing that kept <laughs> the thing that kept me going, right? Because teachers go through a lot of stuff. But I had in my mind this idea that like this ultimate goal was for my students to be like, Mr. Griffith, like you're the smartest guy ever. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like the, this is so cool, the subject, right? And it never happens, right? No one, <laughs> no one actually ever says that. But it was always my goal. And it was always the thing I was going for, right? Chasing that aha moment, that peace, that look in their eye when the light bulb switches on, right? Ideas explained well cut through our conceptions, right? I'm, I'm reminded of like that meme uh, where it's like I was today years old, right? When I found out that like drinking NyQuil and like not operating a heavy machinery, like they weren't talking about forklifts, talking about cars, Right? You guys seen that meme? Sorry. I'm really, I don't know why. I just, that's, that's where my mind went, right? Like I just assumed like you drink NyQuil, you better not get in that forklift seat, right? No, they're talking about your car, right? Don't, don't drink NyQuil and drive your car, right? I was today years old, right? This idea, when it's introduced into your mind, it cuts through the assumptions that you make and it can either make you feel really dumb, right? Or it can make you feel like a genius. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm brilliant. Ideas cut through our conceptions, and this is the servant's work. His power, his task, his goal is to cut through our conceptions on the way that we assume this world is made to work. His, his work and his strength and his power is to cut through our assumptions on how this world has to be and is to introduce us to a way that this world can be and ought to be and should be in a new way. His, his work is to cut through our conceptions. And so he's hidden for a time, right? So the text tells us that he is like an arrow that's hidden away in God's quiver, right? He's, he's being saved for the perfect time. And as soon as he's fired off and he sails through the air and he pierces us, then we come to this aha moment. He's being saved for the perfect time. Look with me in verse 3. And he, the Lord, said to me, the servant, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. This is a crazy thing for God to say to the servant. This is a wild thing for God to say to the servant. Now, why? Think about the context of what's happening. Israel has been unfaithful. Israel has been disobedient. Israel has been exiled as a part of God's, uh, God's judgment upon them. And now God has designated a new Israel. God has said to his servant, hey, look, I, these people, Israel, they have messed it up beyond repair, but I'm designating you as Israel now. And why? I'm designating you as Israel because my people have been scattered throughout the rebellious nations and the coastlands. The old Israel failed. They were unfaithful to their covenant with me, but now you are being designated to reveal my beauty in the world. I am designating you as Israel to achieve my glory, to show it to these coastlands, to show it to the old Israel. The new idea reveals God's beauty, but how? 
This, this new radical idea that God has commissioned his servant to take into the world is the exposition of his beauty to the world, but how? I think we see how in verse 4. There the servant says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense with my God. My right is with the Lord. My recompense is with my God. This is the servant's response. He says, look, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. I've given my life over to vanity. It seems like everything failed. It seems like the idea didn't take. It seems like the sword wasn't sharp enough. It seems like the arrow has missed. But my right is with the Lord. My recompense is with my God. Now I'll ask you this. Do you notice anything about that saying? Do you notice that this is the exact same complaint that Israel has leveled against God in chapter 40, verse 27? There they say this exact same thing. They complain against God for two major reasons. They say, my way has been hidden from the Lord. They say, my rights has been disregarded by my God, but the servant says the exact opposite. Right, it's the beat switch, it's the flip. He changes the narrative about this whole perspective on God's character and identity. The servant says, my right is with my God and my recompense is with him. And this is the idea that the servant has come to promote. This is the very truth that the servant is trying to tell us. This is the arrow. This is the sword. This is the very thing that his work entails. See, the servant says, even if my work is in vain, even if my strength amounts to nothing, even if all my efforts fail, even if my life turns out to be a, ma- a vapor, a mist, a f- futile and stupid gesture, a waste of time, and ultimately meaningless, even if I succumb to the curse of the ground, I'm dead, gone, and buried. Even if my flesh should melt away, behold, I shall see God in the land of the living. In the words of Job, this servant can say the same thing. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that God owns my rights, my recompense my justification. See, this is the word, the idea, the truth that the servant wants to show us is that this is a radical trust in God's justification. This is a radical faith that God has your back. Even if everything is taken away, God still has our back. See, Israel has let their circumstances inform their relationship to God. They have looked around and seen this stinks. Being in in exile is not fun. Therefore, God must not like us because he's punishing us. But the servant flips it around and says, he says, even if my circumstances are terrible, even if everything falls apart, I know God has my back. It is a radical trust 
in God's justification. Though the servant is subjected to nothingness in his circumstances, he trusts God to come through for him to make more of him than he could ever make of himself. See, this is the, the idea. This is the arrow in the sword. And we can think of it like this in our own lives. See, what, what if I told you that you don't have to avenge yourself anymore? What if I told you that you don't have to get even with somebody even if they embarrass you? What if you can take the slap on the cheek? What if someone bigger has your back? There's so much rest in that. There is so much peace in that. There is so much non-anxiety in that radical faith and trust that God will come through for us. And so this is the idea. And now God unveils his bigger purpose. He says, beginning in verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God's purpose and ultimate goal for the servant is twofold. Number one, he has purposed to restore Jacob back to himself. He has purposed to bring Israel back into covenant relationship, belonging with their God. But it doesn't stop there. Not only will he bring Israel back to God, but he will bring those rebellious coastlands back to God. Not only will he restore Jacob to their fortunes, but he will also be a light to the nation so that God's radical idea, God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Israel scattered throughout the coastlands, but the servant will do more than simply bring them back to their place of belonging. The servant will transform all the peoples, both raging and rebellious nations and also raging and rebellious Israel, and he will transform them with this radical idea that God alone justifies. God alone avenges. Justice is his, and he will own it. God has purposed the servant to illuminate this truth to the world. And the truth of this world that he has purposed to illuminate is also the heart of what we call the gospel. The truth of this world that the servant has come to illuminate is what we call the heart of the gospel. And it's simply this, the way up is down. The way up is down. And Jesus tells us this in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. There he says, you know, speaking to the disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. 
The way up is down. The way to find the good life. The way to enjoy being justified. The way to be settled. The way to be at peace with who God has put you and made you as the world is to actually lose your life. The way to find your life is to lose it. The heart of the gospel is this. The way up is down. All of our strivings and work to secure our own good always and always will amount to nothing. Or even worse, they'll amount to violence against ourselves or our neighbor. But this radical idea, this illuminating thought, this powerful word, is the transformation of this entire world. The way up is down. So as we take a moment to reflect, I simply want to ask you this. Have you been pierced by this arrow? Has this sword cut you deeply? Has the light been turned on in your heart and your life? Have you turned to the way of the cross? Have you been served by the servant, Jesus Christ? God, give us grace as we reflect this very thing. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.